You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello, and welcome to a spooky edition of the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. I'm Jill Huffman. And I'm Spellcheck. We're gathered today for something that we are recording in the daylight hours. Because I could not have done it at night because just doing research at night. Hell no. <laughs> made me uh, not chill about it. I would have been fine. These guys yeah. are babies. Yeah, that's why it's you're true. here. <laughs> I am 100% yes, a baby when it comes to this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I actually... I sent Jill a text this morning and said, I'm going to be doing a doll. Are you going to get stabby if I do that? <laughs> and she said, no, I was going to do it. But I was going to try to face my fears. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't. I cannot. Mm-hmm. So uh, this week, Jill and I are in Los Angeles. So this is coming to you from the past for the future before we leave out of town. Do, do, do. And this is coming out the week of Halloweenies. And a very uh dinky thing happened as I was doing the research on my topic. It is the birthday of the boy that owned that item today. No. Yeah. No. The 25th. Hell yeah. No. no. It was a happy birthday. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, It's my favorite time of year, but I actually don't get into the horror stuff too terribly much uh, and things like that. It's just not my jam. So that's why spell checks here is a protection sigil. (laughs) Yeah. Who's going to protect me? Um, I'll send good vibes your way. Your dog. Okay. Thank you. I'm using my brain box. Your brain box. (laughs) Oh, your ectoplasm. (laughs) You sent some to Jill's house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yes, we've all picked our, our, uh, thing to cover we just found out what everybody was doing as we sat down today so jill i am so excited no i've never heard of this like i (laughs) i spent all morning trying to find something i was going to do like spooky forest because there's a lot out there Mm -hmm. hospitals because i'm a nurse Mm -hmm. and then i started reading about thomas busby yes Mm -hmm. and his cursed death chair yes (laughs) so excited i was like what? And then I kept, I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. All right. So I found this uh, article on medium.com. In a small village far from the city crowd, precisely located in North Yorkshire, England, there is a story about the death chair. At first glance, the chair made of oak looks ordinary and harmless. However, who would have thought that the chairs on display in the corner of a museum with their hanging position did not touch the ground so that visitors would not be able to sit in this death chair attacked by 300-year-old curse made by the owner of said death chair? <laughs> He's the equivalent of that's my fucking chair. That's like your right? grandparents. Butts on. Yeah. That's, that's the butts on. No seatbacks for you. <laughs> ever. <laughs> Don't play musical chairs with that one? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That's the one you stay out of. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> In 1702, Thomas Busby brutally murdered his father-in-law 
as well as his partner in a crime the two frequently committed. The story of Thomas Busby has become a belief for the people of North North Yorkshire when someone sits in Thomas Busby's favorite chair, that person will experience an accident, commit a suicide, or even die of a dangerous disease. Several sources said that when they were sitting in a cursed chair, they heard the voice whispered by Busby before he was executed saying that, may death come to anyone who dares sit in my chair. (laughs) This guy was a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like he was the epitome of asshole. Like, come on, buddy. Literally going to get hung and you're like, stay out of my fucking chair. I don't want to share with anyone. This is where dads like in the 60s and 70s are like, get out of my chair. Get out of my chair. My dad did that with his armchair. (laughs) (laughs) He does that with his couch now. (laughs) Starting in the late 1600s, a local man named Daniel Audie happily committed several crimes for the sake of his family's survival, some of which were a theft of jewelry and counterfeiting currency throughout the city. Daniel has a daughter who he really loves, Elizabeth Audi. Once upon a time, Elizabeth fell in love and married a local man named Thomas Busby, who was also a partner in, cri- in crimes committed by her father. After counterfeiting the currency together, Daniel and Busby experienced disagreements about the dis- distribution of rations and resulted in an argument shocking yeah really it didn't sound like they fought ever at all having not reached a joint joint decision they ended the argument and returned to their respective homes the next day at night daniel visited the inn where thomas busby and elizabeth lived many sources say that daniel went in there to take his daughter elizabeth back home because apparently you know back then she was property (laughs) Another source said that Daniel only wanted to visit for the visit of, of, for the sake of visiting. Oh, sure. That's what they all say. Just scope shit out. Just, you know, here to talk. (laughs) Who would have thought Daniel's arrival at the Busby's place would be the last day Daniel visited his daughter. Thomas Busby, who had returned from a drunken party with his friends, saw his father-in-law, Daniel, sitting in his favorite chair. Bastard. With emotions running high, coupled with a drunken state, Busby could not help but feel the anger that was inside him. He fought with Daniel, Elizabeth, who at the time was powerless to intervene, so just stayed silent and watched the fight. You know she was hoping <laughs> they'd kill each other. Right. So she this was is doing. my way out. She was oh, like, no. okay, come on, come on. Oh, daddy, no. Wow. Thomas, stop hitting him. Oh. That could be taken out of context. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> I love it. Good job, Spillcheck. You're welcome. Uh, Daniel, who at the time just realized that Busby was drunk, suddenly ended the fight. He then excused himself to go home. <laughs> Busby, who was still under the influence of alcohol, became even angrier when he learned that Daniel had returned home, so he decided to follow him to his house. When he arrived at Daniel's house, he attacked him with a hammer and he was carrying and hitting him on the head until Daniel lay lifeless with blood all around his body. Hell yeah. I mean, what else is going to happen when you hit a guy with a hammer (laughs) over and over again? Yeah. I mean, it's only as strong as it can be. It's not jello. It's not going to stay in the form. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm -mm. 
<laughs> he holds the hammer. Oh no, there's blood everywhere. Oh no, not Hard a object, hammer. soft tissue. <laughs> Whatever could happen. It's just the 19th century. I don't know about cause and effect. <laughs> I'm just a poor craftsman. <laughs> When Daniel was found dead, Busby became the prime suspect and he was trialed for murder. Moments before being executed, Thomas Busby had asked for time to stay, asked for time to say his last wish. He went to his inn, visited the chair he liked so much, and pronounced a curse on whoever sat in that chair that they would die horribly. The innkeeper who lives in by Thomas Busby and his wife immediately uses Busby's story to attract customers. Oh, okay. He keeps the damn chair and moves into it into the room to invite customers who are curious about his story. <laughs> There's no such thing as a curse, but look at the chair that he killed the guy over. <laughs> nice. And it's like just a plain wood, like rocking chair. It looks super innocent. Yeah. That's yeah. how they get you. Mm-hmm. I know. Busby was executed by hanging right next to the inn where he was staying. The place of the inn was finally renamed Busby Stoop Inn, using the name Thomas Busby for the popularity of the inn. So what is the actual curse, you may ask? According to the testimony of residents, everyone who sat in Busby's chair would soon die. Many soldiers during World War II who sat in Busby's chair did not return safely, Residents speculated that they received the curse of Busby's chair. The stories of people who died after sitting in the chair are numerous, and the details of their deaths vary widely. Among them, a chimney sweep in 1894, who, after drinking at the inn's bar, then decided to sit in Busby's chair and was found dead the next day hanging from the front post of the inn. His death was considered a suicide attempt because he felt depressed. Not a few residents brought up his death when with the Busby curse that was still in effect. There are more. An apprentice worker at the Busby Stoop Inn was challenged, <laughs> has challenged his co-workers to sit in the cursed chair. That's fucked up. Of course, the guy is like, I challenge you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do it, but Double I bet dog you are. Double dog dare. <laughs> sit in that chair. See what happens. Hate your life so much. Sit in that chair then. <laughs> Of course, his friend accepted the challenge and sat on, sat on the chair. In the afternoon, he was found dead, nice. not far from the inn, due to a mysterious accident. Mm -hmm. The same incident also came from two young airmen who spent the night sitting and relaxing while ch chatting with each other. Initially, they were hesitant to use Busby's chair as their seat, but because they were desperate and wanted to try with Busby's curse, they both ended up using Busby's chair. They were both found dead in a car accident while on their way back to the airbase. In the 1970s, the owner of the end passed down from generation to generation. Tony Earlshaw was bored with the death being shaken up by Thomas's curse. He's like <laughs> bored of like the death happening. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Really? This has been done. That's happened. <laughs> <laughs> So he moved the chair into the basement so people would stop sitting in it. However, a delivery driver who was bringing goods into the inn, which he dropped the goods into said basement, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
was apparently uh, needed a little break because he said he sat down in his chair and didn't get up till he felt well rested. There's a whole floor you could sit on. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, a break. <laughs> this is odd. Why is this one chair in the middle of the mm-hmm. room? I'll have a rest. So he continued on his way and died in a car accident less <laughs> than a few hours later. Nice. Tony Ershaw decided to donate the cursed chair to the local museum and asked that it be placed in a place where people couldn't sit on it. The local museum um, that received the chair is in is the Thirsk Thrisk Thrisk Museum, which is located in a fairly ancient building. The museum took the chair and put it in a hanging position so that no one else could sit on it. They also labeled the story of the Busby chair and the stories of the victims who had lost their lives for sitting in this cursed chair and also posted a warning not to touch this chair to maintain their own safety. This Busby chair has been researched by a furniture expert, Dr. Adam Bowitt. He concluded that the Busby chair in the museum was made around 1840, 138 years after Thomas Busby was executed based on the wooden structure used. Wait, so they're saying the chair was made after he was killed? Yes. So Oh, that's suspicious. Right? So where so, where did the dead people come in? Like if it's not the Busby chair? I think they're thinking this is the replica and they don't know where the real one is. <gasps> oh. So it like got all haunted from the original the, the original chair is haunting the replica chair. Did the chair get legs and walk away or what? It's chair inception. I don't know. Yes. Little magic cans. Although the chair on display at the museum was not the original chair that was cursed by Thomas Bosby, the story of the chair had become popular concern, especially for those who are interested in the history of mystery and paranormal. So the chair is up in the museum still, and it's not the original. So they think... But they say uh, a lot of visitors that still come visit the museum, a lot of them will not touch it, even if they say it's not the original chair. I'm going to touch it. Don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to touch it. I'm not going to let you do that. You can't stop me. This is true, but I don't want you to die. Or no, not. but I'm going to prove it's not the real one. I just feel like that's a foolish path to go down. I just feel like <laughs> there's no reason to prove that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's enough history around people doing that exact same thing. Exactly. I mean, did you not hear the guy <laughs> challenge his coworker? Yeah, he didn't airman. sit in the chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put but somebody you don't like in the chair and then fucking track it. Isn't it just if you put, what if it's only if you touch it with your butt? I because, just, because uh, people only die if they sit in it and you sit with your butt. Yeah, but what? Okay, so if you test, on it? if sure. you try to test that theory, then you're going to die right away. You don't know. Out of spite. That motherfucker, the last thing before he died, said, don't sit in my chair. He could have said anything. Don't piss on my grave. Don't fart on my bed. He could have said anything. And he just went, don't sit in my fucking chair. And really, it's one little thing, guys. Just don't sit in the chair. Yeah. You're going to find out over the course of this episode that there there are protocols to haunted things. That's true. That one must not... Don't fuck with the ghosties. Yeah, see? Even yes. Jill's dogs agree. I know. Piper's like, don't fucking do it. <laughs> okay, I'll listen to the dog. Okay. <laughs> Good. He'll make more sense than humans. Yes. Speaking of haunted objects and things, yeah. you are covering. Me? I'm covering? Specifically, 
houses, right? Houses. But specifically, I'm doing the Lizzie Borden house. Oh. Lizzie Borden took an axe. So, um, I like, I, I love the story of Lizzie Borden. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. of course, I wanted to do her house. Um, if you don't know who this fabulous bitch is, let me tell you. <laughs> so, Lizzie was like not happy with her dad and her stepmom, who was apparently a big old bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> Step monster. Yeah, she definitely was. Her dad was super. Su- Hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is in like the late 19th century. Okay. Uh, Lizzie was the younger of two sisters. Um, she and her sister were in their 30s, still living at home, home with uh their dad and their stepmom, who they did not like because she was so young. You know, like too close to their age, kind of young. Yeah. And she was. All up in their business. And their dad was really, really stingy and never let them uh, go out to parties and didn't let them... Like, they were in their 30s, but he wouldn't let them go out. He wow. he was really, um, like, obsessive about saving money, so he would only get the cheapest cuts of meat. So, like, their food wasn't very good, even though they had money. This is making me mad. Yeah, he was a real asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lizzie did the logical thing and decided to murder both her father and her stepmother and then covered it up in the coolest way. I don't think I've ever fully heard this story. Okay, let me yeah, tell me you. Yeah, me neither. Okay, so, <clears throat> on August 4th, 1892, Andrew and Abby Borden were found murdered in their home. Daughter Lizzie Borden was arrested and tried for the axe murders, but she was acquitted in 1893 and continued to live in Fall River, which is where this all happened, until her death in 1927. The case was never officially solved. So what happened was, um, well, if you believe that she did it, what happened was she first uh, killed her father while he was sleeping on a couch in the basement. Or not the basement, the first floor. The couch is still there at the house. Too cheap for a bed or what? Um, He was taking a nap. Rude. Nap in the afternoon is something he did every day. So she chopped his face up. <gasps> With, a, oh! with an axe and you can see the pictures of it because you can there are crime scene photos you can see yeah look that up Sam. <laughs> so you can see the pictures of her dad and her stepmom all chopped up so she chopped him up and then she went upstairs and uh, started chopping her stepmom um, but her stepmom instead of being found in the bed was found on the floor so the theory is that like she was aware of that she was being attacked and so she tried to get away but then lizzie got her on the floor and finished chopping her up you see the pictures yet <laughs> just see my face <laughs> yeah hold on i'm getting it um so um nobody heard like anything um there was no witnesses but lizzie was the one who informed everyone something's happened you have to come up and see someone killed mama or whatever you know Jesus. Yeah. Someone killed the person I also graduated with. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um anyway, so they arrested her and you know, there was there was no evidence. There was no 1890 evidence. No. She wasn't she didn't have any blood on her. Um there was no one who could say she was at the house and, like that she could have done it. And there was also the assumption that a woman wouldn't do that kind of thing. Um No. 
someone would never (laughs) well and it kind of like the dad not letting them have a social life yeah and kind of set up like the perfect storm in a way lizzie was real pissed about that oh these are brutal oh yeah right isn't that fun hell now i'm gonna have to look (laughs) (laughs) so um someone had seen her burning a dress i think that evening um or the day after and her when she was uh tried for the murders and when the lawyers asked her about, you know, you were burning that dress, what happened? Um, she said, well, I had su- I got soup on the dress, so I had to get rid of it because it was ruined. Good soup. Good soup. So. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's way more detail to it. I just totally glossed over everything. But it's a really, really fun case of, you know, in a modern court, it would have been pretty obvious that she had done it. Yeah. Well, and they have like the theories now, right? Where depending on where like trauma happens mm-hmm. in the course of a homicide mm-hmm. kind of depicts on who probably did it. Yeah. And they have a the, the theory where if it's a lot of facial injury. Exactly. And repetitive. Yeah. It is. It's someone you, you know really well. Yeah. And that's exactly what she did. She smashed up their faces. So badly. Well, and they found... Um, Mrs. Borden's like braid next yeah. to her body, her hair. She was all fucked up. There's a there is a theory that because Lizzie wasn't covered in blood and there were no clothes found with blood on them, there's a theory that she did all of this naked <gasps> and then like washed herself and then got dressed. Well, there's also like in the the photo of her father mm-hmm. on that beautiful couch. Uh, it is a very nice couch. There's not a lot of like things on the walls that would make you think that an axe was repeatedly swung into his head like a lot of spray you mean yeah um yeah it it kind of i always had the vision that she instead of like swinging way far back and smashing really hard down like when you're chopping wood uh-huh. she just kind of had a hold of the she had it real choked up yeah. and was just smashing his face really close with just the wow. the edge of it yeah so there is one another theory i like that um she had a relationship with the maid. There was an Irish maid uh, that worked for them who was at the house. She was, I think she was cleaning the windows at the time. Um, that the murders happened. That the murders happened. So she would have, she should have heard something. So one of the theories is that the maid was in on it with Lizzie and helped her clean up. Because if you think about the clothing oh. at that time, you had to have help to get into a lot of the clothes. Oh. So if she, she could have done it naked and then got help getting dressed, or she could have done it with her clothes on and then got help getting undressed, destroying the clothes, and then wow. getting dressed again. Wow. That is... For it being as famous as it is, I've never heard the... I guess I've never paid attention to hear the entire story. You just always hear about it. Yeah. It's one of those... Uh, it's part of, you know, the American mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and acquitted. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, nope, she couldn't have done it. And, and now there's a bed and breakfast. And now it's a bed and breakfast. Well, one other thing. Her sister knew she did it. Like, her sister was never on her side. And I guess they uh, they didn't get along after that because her sister knew what happened. Wow. So, yeah, it's a bed and breakfast now. And you can um, sleep in the room where the mom, the stepmom was killed. Yep. No. Yeah. You no. can book that room. And people do. And there, there are always instances of disturbances in the night. People seeing things, hearing things. Um, yeah. It's like a level of dark tourism. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And there's that fun children's rhyme 
which was one of my favorites. Do you know it? I think I know what it is, but I, I can't. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. Oh, and when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. But that's not oh. accurate because it was not 40 and 41. It was like 28 and something else. Wow. But yeah, that's a children's rhyme. I don't know if it's even allowed There's so many fucked up nursery rhymes when yeah. you get older and you yeah, learn about it. They're all bad. But yeah, her house, uh, the house is um, bed and breakfast. It is consistently, uh, there are consistent stories of sounds and, you know, doors opening, doors closing, wow. um, cold spots, all the traditional haunted stuff. I'm reading like the quotes from her. Oh yeah. Following she, that time. She was, I'm pretty sure she was just a, a sociopath. Had to have been. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because she played up the... Uh, the court, mm-hmm. it was like a whole thing, and she loved it. She liked that attention. Yeah, I just, I like, I'm trying, you know, because there's so many things we'll obviously never know, mm-hmm. but it's like being sheltered yeah. by your father for so long into your adult life. Yeah, into her 30s. And not, you know, being allowed to experience normal things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, letting that resent. Yeah, it just built up and built up. And there was also something um, that, the inheritance wasn't going to end up with the girls because of the stepmom. Yeah. I just like the idea of her murdering them naked. I think that's the most fun because it goes so <laughs> far against like the, the, <laughs> like what the standard for decorum of the time. I mean, yeah, murdering someone naked now is like, eh, okay, whatever. They're naked. That's fine. But being naked back then. Yeah. Well, and you have to meant think something of it more. too. She, like, was very methodical in her planning. Like, yeah. she knew, like, mm-hmm. if I killed this person, mm-hmm. it's going to splatter blood. So I might as well just get naked. And then. Right. Like, she figured that out. However, how whatever she did, she cleaned that part up. Whether it was the dress she was burning the that night or if she was naked or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So the wife was 30. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. She was younger and than he them. He was. Hold on. Sam's getting all my information for old me. Old timey math. <laughs> old timey math. <laughs> no. Hold on. It's pause for effect. Could put in like he was seventy six. Oh, Ew. Yeah. 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 Ew. Forty six years older than his. Yeah, and and she married him for his money. I think obviously. Well, obviously. Because he was not a nice man. Oh, disgusting. Whatever happened to the sister, though? If she, she moved away. Off, she just left. She was like, I'm done with all of you. Well, I mean, she, you know, she couldn't handle it. She had a murderous sister and her dad was dead. Ugh. And I think she, a lot of this is just off the top of my head because I've read so much about Ooh. this, but I think she got along with the stepmom better than Lizzie did. Wow. Or Lizzie's sister talked her into it. Well, the, yes, that could have been. But she cut ties with Lizzie afterwards, and she was so visibly upset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it could have been. So she wants us to think. Exactly. It could have been. Both of them were. Just naked murderesses. Ooh. She was like, it would be so nice if she'd be out of the picture. Mm-hmm. And Lizzie just, like, had the ovaries to do it. Yeah. I... No. Maybe she was trying to win over the stepmom to get the inheritance. And then she realized it wasn't going to work. So then she started talking to Lizzie about 
We just need to get them off. And then she still didn't get the money and she moved away to marry some rich old man herself. Or she left from the shame that her sister was a full-blown LaDollar Bean and also killed her parents. A what? LaDollar Bean. What? It's a TikTok reference. <laughs> there was somebody you could do talk to text on TikTok. Uh-huh. Sidebar city. So everybody can get caught up on this. Joe yeah. looks confused too. Yeah. And instead of, because sometimes TikTok will flag things as being inappropriate. So sometimes if you type the word lesbian on TikTok, uh-huh. it can flag your video. So people started writing L-E dollar sign mm-hmm. bean. And when the text <gasps> oh. to speech reads it, it says La Dollar Bean. Instead of lesbian. Instead of lesbian. So now it's been co-opted as a new phrase in the queer community, LGBTQIA+. Well, actually, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, obviously, there's the um, the theory that she was in on it with the maid and mm-hmm. had a relationship with the maid. But I think there was other social evidence that she was gay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's not okay in 1890. Well, let's, let's spin back here. And the fact that it's an... Like a bed and breakfast that you can stay the night in. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. No. Yes. It just gets worse as we continue this episode, Jill, because my hers one is worse. Is also somewhere you can stay. Yeah. Don't even think about it, Samantha. I, I would not. Is, we are not. I'm not into it. It's on. I will cut list. this relation off if that. Spell check's going. She'll send us pigeon mail. Yeah. I'll I'll write I'll write um, old fashioned letters. We hey, put yeah. perfume on them for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm here in the murder house. <laughs> Tending. <laughs> testing, testing. Morse code. Yeah. Um, that's the only way I want correspondence if you're ever somewhere haunted. Beep, 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 yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Shorthand. So the next, uh, I guess, best for last, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this was one that I started to look up when we had discussed the idea of doing an episode about haunted things and haunted items and whatever i immediately started googling things and um when i was doing my final research i started looking stuff up last night and got too creeped out that i just put my phone away and didn't finish looking it up until i was in the broad daylight um the item i'm covering for today's episode is an infamous doll um and his name is robert the doll and in my opinion, he's more terrifying than Annabelle or like the other dolls that kind of had strange happenings because um, he is technically an antique. He is over 115 years old and he has a, a sordid history. Yes. Um, I did a, a bunch of different lookings up on the Googles. This one comes from horrorobsessive.com where I'm getting it was the most concise and factual um, story about Robert. So this is from horrorobsessive.com it was the most like i said concise and factual there's lots of different lore that surround robert um so robert the doll is from the early 1900s and he lived with the otto family in key west during the early 20th century he was the most treasured possession of the youngest son robert eugene who was born october 25th 1900 happy birthday robert Oh, God. The doll was given as a birthday gift for his fourth birthday. Now, there's different histories about where the doll was given from. Um, There was some real racist, like racist, shitty theories about it being given by uh, the maid of the house as a curse to them. And that was proven to be unfactual and racially based. Assholes. It was given by his grandfather who lived in Germany because Robert's family... um, Robert Eugene's family immigrated from Germany in the 1900s and 
that's they regularly exchanged gifts across the pond to each other. So, and it was linked all the way back to the factory that is actually credited for creating the teddy bear after President Theodore Roosevelt's namesake. Um, Those who knew the family, though, said that the son was attached to the doll and took him everywhere, everywhere with him up into his married life. Like there is a brief moment of time. No, no. That he does not have the doll with him. And it's when he goes to college. No. So like up until college, he has the doll with him sleeping in his bed. The doll had its own table chair. Uh-huh. Like it had its own room. It slept in his bed, like full blown companion. Okay? I don't like, I don't like where all. this story is going. It gets so much worse. So, um, and Eugene gave Robert his first name, which is Robert. And Eugene quit going by Robert. He went by Gene. So it was like he gave part of his spirit over to the doll. It's part of the theories on why he's so haunted. So it was, and he insisted on being called Gene from that moment on. This is when the strange things started to happen. Gene's parents, Thomas and Minnie, would hear Gene talking late at night in his room. They heard a distinct voice answering him. And when they opened the door, they found Gene alone in his room talking with the doll. They would also hear Gene scream at night. When they would go into his room, they found Robert holding Gene down on the bed. Objects also began to fly across the room, and his parents would find Gene's other toys mutilated. There's also an instance of when they first got the doll of Gene screaming and Robert sitting on the end of his bed, making eye contact with him, and all of the furniture upturned in his room. Oh. Yeah. Um, and this started the repetitive phrase that Gene used until he died which is, I didn't do it. Robert did it. Thomas and Minnie didn't get rid of Robert, but eventually they put him in the attic. The Ottos were known as a prominent immigrant family that they um, immigrated from Germany in the 19th century and eventually settled in Key West. Thomas was a Thomas Otto. The father was a physician and a pharmacist. The family owned two pharmacies in Key West. In those days, it's also when doctors were also pharmacists because there wasn't a lot of money in either profession. Um, so they often treated patients regardless of their ability to pay and often accepted goods in exchange for healthcare services. Gene was the youngest of four children. So the boy that had the doll, Gene, had um, four, three siblings, Mitzpah, which is his sister, Joseph, and Thomas Osgood. Gene was apparently closest with his sister, Mitzvah. Accounts differ as to where Robert the doll came from. This is what I kind of spoke about. The origin story circulated over the years that Robert was a voodoo doll, which this is where it comes from, that racial bullshit, made by a Haitian servant. But the other story goes with this servant. It was actually a married couple, and I forget their names right now. It's a married couple that were the maids of the house, a husband and a wife. And it is rumored that Robert's father and the wife had an affair. We'll get into that. Um, but because of the popularity and pop culture stuff surrounded Robert, a team from Key West Art and Historical Society gives Robert an annual examination to make sure he stays in good condition. And they um, were the ones to debunk that Robert was not a voodoo doll and he was did not he was not made of human hair or stuffed with anything like that. Um, he actually has mohair and he was stuffed with a straw-like material that was called Excelsior at the time and covered with felt. And they believe that Robert was originally supposed to be um, a display in this factory in Germany. He was a part of a gesture display and that's why he was so large. He's about three feet tall, between three and four feet tall and weighs six pounds. And he had painted on features to look kind of like a jester. 
And he was supposed to be a part of a window display, which is why they think he was the size that he was. He was also dressed in Jean's childhood sailor outfit. No. And given <laughs> a toy lion that he carried and still has with him to this day. Um, the lion's name is Leo. Is That's original. Yeah. Uh, was the lion attached? No, it's just a plush lion that he holds mm-hmm. that Jean gave to Robert and that as long also with a sailor suit. I feel like maybe Robert like threatened Jean. I would, yeah. So Jean went away to college as an adult to study architecture at the University of Virginia for two and a half years and he did not take Robert with him. He left him at home with his parents and then he went to study painting at the Academy of Fine Arts in Chicago for three years. Besides playing with Robert during childhood, Jean reportedly loved to paint. According to the family, Gene took up a paintbrush before he learned to speak. He spent the following two and a half years working with art students in League in New York, and then this he meets his wife in Paris, where he established himself in a studio and then met Annette Parker. Parker was originally from New England and was in Paris studying music. The two married on May 3, 1930. He was 30 years old. At the American Cathedral in Paris, Jean and Anne Otto eventually moved back to the United States and they moved to New York. And it was during the Great Depression and there was difficult financial times um, for Jean, Anne and their families. Jean worked as a furniture salesman and Anne performed some shows at Rockefeller Center. At Rockefeller Center. The two composed and copyrighted more than 30 songs together. Wow. One of the songs of the time was Of Time and the River and it was recorded by singer Jimmy Brierley during the 40s. Gene learned that his mother was sick and the couple moved to Key West, back to the Victorian home. And at this point, Robert's family had moved the doll to the attic because there were so many things happening Mm -hmm. that they were tired of instances and hauntings with the doll. So they moved it to the attic while Gene was away. I would like to uh, just inform the audience that Jill's face is full of disgust. She hates this. Through this whole thing. (laughs) So much. I hate it so much. Um, So... He hadn't been with Jean during this out and he had just been left in the attic. After his mother's death, Jean's siblings all signed over their shares of the estate to Jean and Anne. Then they moved into the family home, ne- home now known as the Artist House. The house now, right now, serves as a bed and breakfast and is also a stop on a ghost tour. Yeah. There you go. Stop it. Why? Also, one of the most photographed homes in Key West, other than Hemingway's former residence. Yeah, it's a beautiful house. Yeah. So once they settled in with his wife, Gene resumed his close friendship with Robert, like as if no time had passed at all, much to his wife's dismay. <laughs> Anne did not like Robert and insisted that Gene keep Robert in a separate room. Gene yeah. created a room especially for Robert in the attic. He even furnished the room with child-sized furniture and toys. This is also where Robert, Gene mo- moved his studio to the attic and would often spend hours and hours and hours up there painting and working on things with Robert. Can you imagine the conversation between Anne and Jean? Like it's so much worse for her. Her having to tell him, listen, you need to keep your doll uh-huh. the fuck away from me. Yeah. So um Jean made Robert's room in a studio painted with him by his side. Myrtle Reuter, who later owned the artist's house, said that a neighbor told her that Anne said that when Jean would say or do something hurtful to her, he would tell her, I didn't do it. Robert did it. It was during the 40s that the stories of Robert began to circulate. Many neighborhood children who passed by the artist's house on their way to school reported seeing Robert moving from window to window in the attic room. In Key West, Gene became a respected citizen and artist, of course. He had art openings attended by prominent Key West residents. He was also supported by organizations such as the Key Women's Key West Women's Club and Garden Club. Jean Otto passed away in June 24th of 1974 in a Miami hospital. It was determined that his death was caused by Parkinson's. 
Um, an article written 10 years after his death said that in the months leading up to his death, Jean spent most of his time in the attic talking to Robert. After his death, Anne found out that she was written out of her husband's will. What? According to a letter. Wait, hold the phone. She spent all of this time living in that fucking house with that fucking doll. And her husband at some point wrote her out of the will because he was mad that she he was written out of Anne's mother's will. Wow. Wait. And he left everything to his sister, Mizpah. <gasps> oh. 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 My. Yeah. So, Jean, and she, it, it's because Jean was hurt when he had found out that he had been written out of her mother's will. Mm-hmm. Jean left everything to his sister. Okay, well, it's, it's, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, Jill's face. He left everything to his sister and his nephew. So, once she found out about this, she sold it to a neighbor and a friend, William Geyser. She sold the house. Nice. She gave Robert to Geyser and told him the doll was Jean's best friend. Of course, he never had any other friends. Anne moved to Massachusetts to live with her sister. She died five years later of pancreatic cancer and was buried in Connecticut. So she's not even buried. Shit. Yes. So, and then this gets into Robert being a voodoo doll. I use that in direct quote of the article. Yeah. Robert has been analyzed and examined by a team from the Key West Art and Historical Society and some detective work, a paranormal investigator and author, David Sloan, um, wrote about Robert's origins in his book, Robert the Doll, The True Biography of Key West Haunted Doll. And this is extensive research um, for the autos and his caretakers. And he had access to family documents, including leather, letters and diaries. He tracked Robert's physical origins to the Steiff Company in Germany. And this was a toy company that established during the late 19th century. And it was started by a seamstress, Margaret Steiff. And she made elephant-shaped pincushions, and she noticed that kids were enjoying playing with the pincushions, so she turned them into toys. Mm. And when they made toys outside of the pincushions, there was a button that was usually put in the ear that had the impression of an elephant on it. This button was missing from Robert, but they think it probably just came off being played with. Mm. Um, So the evaluation team and Sloan have noted that Robert's right ear was originally missing. Sloan assumed that Jean may have torn it off accidentally as a child. Kaufman's and Collie agree that Robert could have been a Stife, could be a Stife toy. The following year, Kaufman found a doll similar to Robert that is confirmed a Stife toy up for auction. Kaufman's theory was that it was originally made to be used as a window display because of his lifelike proportions. So now that it's been confirmed, Robert wasn't constructed as a voodoo doll. Theories as to why Robert could be haunted are that the servant could have put a curse on the doll after Jean received it. Robert could also be haunted by the spirit of a deceased child connected to the Otto family. So this is where that housekeeper comes into play um is that robert's father they employed these two servants from the west indies william and emmeline abbott the abbots were a married couple who worked for the auto for many years um and there was rumors that went around town that robert's father was a flirt and was loved by many women in the town um information obtained by several documents have sus- caused suspect that Thomas may have been unfaithful. According to Miniato's journal, her husband received a lot of attention from women and the women in the community resented her because she wasn't from a wealthy background. Minnie also didn't want to be buried in the family plot for some reason. There's also mention of some interesting fatherly advice that Joseph gave to Thomas. Jean's grandfather is quoted in advising his son about venereal disease and to practice not abstinence, but prophylactic care. Emmeline tried to file a lawsuit against the Ottos after Thomas's death. Something was going on, but there's no evidence to prove that Emmeline Abbott and Thomas Otto had an affair. Of course, there wasn't at that time because there wasn't paper trails kept for slaves and things like that. 
Yep. The following are the theories as to who haunts Robert. They think it's the spirit of Thomas and Otto Emmeline Abbott's child or that it is her deceased child conceived with her husband, William. So that's where they think the childlike presence comes from with the doll. Right. And there have been sightings um, that have seen an apparition of what appears to be a female child of mixed race around Robert the doll. She is described as about five years old with long brown curly hair wearing an old fashioned type nightgown. Poochie Myers served as a caretaker for the artist's house during the 1980s, and she described seeing this spirit of little girl sitting on the staircase and that the girl seemed angry. So Robert went from living with the Otto family for all of that time to living with different caretakers of the house, and he now resides in the Fort East Martello Museum since 1994. Myrtle Reuter brought him to the museum. Reuter became the owner of the artist's house after William Geyser and was Robert's caretaker for 20 years. At first, she didn't think that Robert was nefarious at all and would change his outfit, put him by the Christmas tree, and all of these different things. Um, she took Robert to her new home and then where she let him sit on the porch. She said that it was after moving into the new house that's when strange things started to happen. She set Robert down in a chair at his office and said that this is Robert and he's part of the Otto family and I can't stand him being in my house anymore when she was donating him to the museum. She filled out the paperwork, gave that to them, and Reuter said that she locked Robert in a room after noticing that he moved on his own. After that, she said Robert locked her in a room. He's haunted, she said to Pice. When Pice suggested that she should keep Robert, Reuter insisted that she wanted the doll out of the house, filled out the paperwork, and donated him. She died less than three months later. After Robert arrived at the museum, paranormal activity started to increase at the artist's house and de- or decrease at the artist's house and increase at the museum. Uh, Pius noticed something different about Robert. He kept Robert in a small antique chair in his office. He said that when he looked at Robert, he stared back at him in an unchildlike way. Stop. Pius believed that Robert was moving the chair, so he made marks around the chair legs to see if it was moving. Pius shared his office with the museum director, and she didn't like Robert and didn't want to be in the office when the doll was there. Eventually, Robert was moved to the artifact storage of the museum, and he stayed there for two years until the request to see him started to become so large that they had to move him to his own space in the museum under glass case. Um, A local ghost tour was encouraging guests to visit Robert. After requests increased, that's when he was put on display. Um, So there are reports from the house of when people were renting it, that there were noises coming from the attic, as children laughing, and someone rummaging around. When they went upstairs to investigate, they noticed Robert had changed his position and the activity became more frequent. They invited a friend to see Robert and um, he experienced a strange feeling when he was around Robert, described as a metal bar running down his back. Ross also described Robert as changing facial expressions, looking like a child being punished as he talked to his friends about the room. Robert seemed to be following the conversation. So there's reports of his facial like no. stuff changing as people Stop are talking it. or displeasing him. Um, there's reports of people staying at the hotel, the bed and breakfast when Robert was still there of like a couple had like gone up to the attic to see where it was. Cause like the Borden house, you can stay in different rooms and they lost like their hard drive crashed with all of their pictures, their wedding pictures and all of that, um, went away until they wrote a letter apologizing to Robert. Yeah. That is part of the whole thing with him. And it came back. There was also, um, the woman at the time that was running the bed and breakfast put a bowl of fake plastic lemons in the lobby as decor. And slowly over time, all of the lemons disappeared and guests would either bring it back to the front desk, mail them back, or they would just show up randomly at other parts of the bed and breakfast. One of them being they were sent home with a couple um, and it was wrapped in one of her shirts and they had had like the series of unfortunate events that had happened. And so they sent it back with peppermint candy for Robert 
and the lights went out in the room for a minute. The couple felt that this was Robert's way of expressing him his thanks for the candy. Um, while doing research for his book, he said he lost four hard drives um, of the manuscript while writing the book about Robert. And backups of the manuscript also disappeared. More than one medium also advised him to build a fireproof safe for his valuables while he was working on the book. Sloan was told that Robert did not approve of the book. He would give Sloan cancer. Sloan also said that he was pulled from his bed, held suspended midair, and that he had been levitated. Sloan founded a ghost tour in Key West that in 1996 influenced Robert's move from the museum to permanent display. Yeah. This is great. Um, Another instance. (laughs) Let's see. Okay. So when you see Robert on display, there is a certain set of rules you have to follow. Mm -hmm. You have to introduce yourself when you walk into the room. Tell him your name, ask permission to take photos of him, and say goodbye when you leave. It's also better if you leave him candy, because he's said to like sweets. Um, the writer told Robert their name. Asked, so this is a story from someone who said that they followed Robert's rules. The writer told Robert their name, asked permission before taking his photo, and thanked Robert. Later that night, their bottom lips swelled to twice its size, and they developed a rash on both of their arms and hands that lasted for a couple of days. They looked up Robert on the internet and didn't find any information to suggest that the rules weren't followed. As they closed the tab, they noticed another tab open with no title on it. There was only one sentence on the page that read, you did not say where you were from. Jesus. (laughs) Um, The couple that found the lemon, Mm -hmm. um, the next day before they checked out, they were doing last minute. So they decided to take a look in the attic and pop the hatch door and they took a picture thinking that they might catch something paranormal. The next day before checkout, they were doing some last minute shopping and she began to feel pain and started running a fever and noticed a rash. After arriving home, a doctor diagnosed her with shingles. Her husband started to feel pain and was diagnosed with kidney stones. When she was unpacking, she found the plastic lemon wrapped up in one of her shirts. She did not know how it got into her suitcase. She thought that Robert was the cause of her and her husband's sickness. She thought that Robert was punishing them for taking pictures in the attic without permission. They mailed the lemon back. Once the lemon was on its way back, her and her husband immediately began to recover. And she requested that her Robert, her letter be posted near Robert. There is one positive letter mentioned. The writer was a woman who said that she has nothing but the best of luck after visiting Robert. Huh. The specifics aren't mentioned, but the woman expresses her appreciation and thanks to Robert. The letter goes on to refer to Robert as a demon whose role is to teach people to ask for. <laughs> mission is the consent demon <laughs> she goes on to say that robert is specifically a demon in charge of good manners uh-huh um let's see yeah so there are there's lots and lots and lots and lots of stories that go around robert there's people saying they've never had any misfortune. There's people saying they've had lots of misfortune surrounded by Robert the doll, but it was experienced for generations in that house of just different things. There's speculation that all of it all along was um, Gene and was using Robert as a scapegoat. There's reasons to believe that people think it is uh, haunted because Gene was so in love with him as a companion that part of his body like ripped off and just went into the doll. So, yeah. And he's, I'm old as fuck. And he's in that case now at that museum and Mm -hmm. is still there and you can still see him. And they do like a full blown, like doll physical on him every year to make sure that nothing is deteriorating because he is moth eaten in some places. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. I'm sure they have a full protocol. Because I wouldn't want to be that person. Mm -mm. 
I think- I'd be like the whole time I'd be like, all right, Robert. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to hold you here. I'm just going to pat you. Uh, Robert, I'm sorry. Yeah. I hope this is okay. And there's been no. like lots of people that have tried to like purchase the doll for their own museum. Oh, and God, you could, no. they do like nightly 8 PM tours in no. his area. And the tickets are like $29 a piece. So when you think about if you could sell the doll one time. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple things that I had looked up to cover that I was going to cover. And there was one specifically just briefly that I want to cover was the Dybbuk box. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw that too. Yeah. So I started to look it up and like research it and come to find out that the story was completely fabricated and made up. The guy that was selling it was a Seattle furniture salesman that had come across it in an auction. And he wanted to sell, so he made up the story for his eBay listing. And then it spun into its own urban legend. But a Dybbuk is... A, yes. A, it, like a Dybbuk is a legend already. Yes. But specifically... Jewish, yeah. yeah, he's a Jewish like entity demon mm-hmm. type thing that um, traps itself in objects. That's how they trap it, like Pandora's box. But for, mm-hmm. So they trap this demon in an object that it's not supposed to leave. And that's what this guy wrote, this fictional story about... Um, the Dybbuk box, which was actually just a wine cabinet. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was our spooky, spoopy Halloween episode. The um, moral of this episode is be careful what you purchase because yes. it might have ghosties in it. Yeah. Also, listen to the warnings. If they say don't do it, don't do it. Don't put your butt oh. in the chair. <laughs> What's your uh, vintage tip of the week of making sure you're not taking anything home with you from an item? What, what would you suggest somebody do if they feel like there's energy? Oh, oh. Um, um, I would say if you bring something home and you feel like there's something kind of attached to it or if you feel kind of uneasy about the item itself, one uh, easy thing to do is leave it out in a place where the full moon will kind of bathe it overnight. And that can be really helpful for cleansing. You can also put it in, if it's a smaller item, you can put it like in a bowl of salt. Mm. That can also be uh, good for bad energy. If you're really having trouble with it, I would say get the fuck rid of it. Yeah. I mean, don't risk anything. Yeah. Because you really, you don't know what you're bringing home sometimes. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So just be conscious of what, the item you're bringing home feels like before you take it into your house. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, that's Thanks. it. So, if your cell phone gets in water, put it in rice. Mm-hmm. If your piece of jewelry feels haunted, put it in a bowl of salt. Yep. I mean, those are easy. Yeah. It. Yep, it's real simple. It's F- full moon and salt. Yeah, the two most important things. <laughs> also, if you're not supposed to take it, don't take it. Yeah, don't steal stuff, especially if it might be haunted. Yeah, don't sit in it. Don't touch it. Ask permission. Yes. Okay? <laughs> be polite. Simple, guys. Be, be yeah. polite. Be damn it. polite. <laughs> Consent, whether they're dead or not. Okay? Yes. Consent is key. Thank you guys uh, so much for listening. We will be reporting back about our trip to Los Angeles in next week's episode. So, fingers crossed everything went well. We had a great time because it's still a little ways out. Right now, we would like to take this time to thank our beloved patrons. We love you guys so, so, so much and are so thankful to have you guys as supporters of the show and our dear vintage friends. We would like to thank Katrina and Erica in Arizona. Gray in Colorado. Emily and Crystal in Nevada. Ruth in British Columbia. Ruby and Autumn in Ohio. 
Aaron in Wisconsin, RJ in Florida, Gina in South Carolina, Julia in Sweden, Jasmine in Kentucky, Kyla in Indiana, Javier, Shanna, Mandy, and Riley in California. And of course, Betty, Lisa, Aaron, TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, Becky, and Ashley in Idaho. A gigantic thank you to our wonderful team behind the scenes, Gray, just for everything, really. <laughs> thank you so much. And to our dear darling Spellcheck, we would be up shit creek without you. Yeah. Sure would. As always, I hope you find some good, not haunted shit. <laughs> and I hope you're looking under the tables, but not in the attic. And please do all of the research. Every last bit of it. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thank you.